I asked someone earlier this week what they thought of this series and how they've enjoyed this series on The Good Place that we've been sharing these last several weeks. And they said, it's been great. You've answered questions I didn't even know to ask. (laughs) I wasn't quite sure how to take that because usually when we're preparing messages, we try and answer questions that people are asking. (laughs) But I will say there are times that we need to answer questions that people may not be asking. There are times when we say, you know, there's something that we believe or something that we've come to believe that we need to make sure we've got right, that we need to make sure we correct, that we need to maybe ask some questions of. And earlier in the year when we were planning out our series, this this topic of heaven was just one of those things we thought, you know what, we don't always get it right what the Bible says about this, and we need to take some time to look at it. So hopefully we've answered some questions in these four messages, or this is the fourth, that you were asking, and maybe some that you weren't. And I want to do that a little bit more this morning. We've tried to answer questions about heaven that maybe uh, you have had or maybe didn't have, but we missed a lot, and I'm going to try and answer some that we might have missed this morning. So far, in these four weeks, we've said after you die, there's a judgment, and the important part in that judgment is that your faith is in Jesus Christ. We've said that in heaven uh, is, is the place where the one who knows you best and loves you most lives and created you. We've said that Jesus' victory is your victory, that everybody has a body in heaven, and that's important. But in this fourth week, I want to do two things. Like I said, I want to answer some questions about uh, heaven and the idea of life after death that we may not have gotten to, that may be on your mind, that some people have told me they have these questions. And then I also want to answer the question of, so what? What's the difference? What does it mean when we get all of these beliefs right? Well, the truth is we don't have answers to all of our questions about anything but about this topic of life after death for sure. We have enough information to get us to the destination though. God has not given you all the information you want about life after death, but he has given you all the information you need. It's like a friend giving you directions to his house for the first time. And you're on the phone with him and he says, well, it's number 15 and it's a blue house with red shutters. There's a a swing in the front yard and and if you look close in our garden, we've got uh, plastic flamingos. That's our house. Just pull in and you'll be at the right place. While you're on the way, maybe your kids start asking you questions. How big is their house? Does it have a swimming pool? Do they have any toys? Do they have a swing set? Do they have a dog? You say, I don't know. He didn't tell me that. We'll find out when we get there. Well, Dad, they say, why didn't he tell you that stuff? Doesn't he like you? I thought you were his friend. And you respond, he is my friend. He gave me what I needed, enough information to get to the house. And all the other stuff we'll find out when we get there. The truth is what your friend gave you is the information you need to arrive, not the, all the information you may want about the destination. You pull into the street and, uh, you know, you, go, you start going down and it's 11 and 13. Oh, there's 15. Yep, blue house, red shutters. Swing, ah, there's the little flamingos in the garden. This must be the place. You had enough information to get to the destination. 
even though you may not have had the answers to all the questions you would like before you arrived at the destination. It's similar with God. God has given you all you need to arrive at the destination, even though he had maybe not given you all the answers to the questions you would want at this point in time. It's true not only for us, it was true back when the Bible was, was first written and the letters of Paul were being written to the churches, specifically a church that was in the city of Corinth in the first century. Paul was writing to them and they had questions about this idea of the resurrection and resurrected bodies. And they even asked Paul, Paul said, you know, some will ask, what, will, what kind of body will we have? What will it look like? I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I kind of had questions like this. I thought, yeah, what's my heavenly body going to be like? I thought about things like, you know, am I going to have hair? And if we do, does it need to be cut? And if it doesn't, do I have to have the hair, same hairstyle for all of eternity? <laughs> now, for people who know me, they might be like, uh, Rick, uh, you haven't changed your hairstyle anyway. What's the difference? But, but, I mean, it's just the things you think about, right? It's the things you think about. But Paul had these questions being posed to him too. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going we're gonna to spend some time there. If you want to turn there, I'm going to come back there a little bit later. But chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians is Paul's largest section on the resurrected bodies that we'll have. And basically his answer was, look, your body that goes into the ground after you die, it's like a seed that goes into a ground and dies and then grows into a tree. And as different as that seed is from the tree, it's, it's as different as your earthly body going into the ground is from your resurrected body. I mean, the DNA is in there and there's some familiarity and the essence is the same, but the look is so different. I mean, you walk by a tree and if I showed you a handful of seeds, you probably couldn't pick out which seed that tree came from. And Paul's saying it's like that. You know, you're going to have this resurrected body and I know you're asking all these questions and you want all these answers to it, but the truth is your glorified resurrected body is going to be so different. So we don't have answers to all the questions we might want, but you do have enough information to get you to the destination. It's not that God is ambivalent to our questions or he doesn't care, but he's given you enough information to get you to your destination. But there are questions we still have, and some of them we do have answers to. You know, maybe questions you might have. Uh, things like, will there be anything for us to do in heaven? Is there biblical support for purgatory? Is it possible for someone who is dead uh, to talk to the living? And if so, is it permissible for a living person to talk to a dead person? Do we know what heaven will be like? Will my pet be in heaven? Well, let me just take care of these questions right away. And my answers to these questions are yes, no, maybe, and no, a little. And if you're asking the question, you probably don't want to hear my answer. <laughs> okay, does that, that clear it up? <laughs> All right, let me spend a couple more minutes on some of those questions. Because I think they are important and um, some of them are addressed, I think, in Scripture. The first question, will there be anything for us to do, is an emphatic yes and it's not just an eternal, it's not an eternal church service, which some of us were kind of raised to think that heaven was going to be some ongoing, never-ending church service. But there is something that we'll have to do. 
for eternity with God. And that's something in Scripture is said that we will reign with Christ. Reign and rule. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, says this, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Paul says that one of the things for a Christian who has faith in Jesus Christ, puts their trust in Jesus, that in the afterlife, in life after death, in the resurrected body, that the job that you'll have to do is to reign and rule with Christ. And if you think about it, this actually makes a lot of sense. Because when we think about the new heaven and the new earth, the easiest reference we have is the first earth that God created for us. The first good place that God created for humanity. And when he did, he gave this command to the first man and the first woman, or as he was creating them, God said, Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Humanity was given the job to rule and to reign. They gave up that when sin entered in. When Adam and Eve sinned, Satan was given the power to rule and to reign over the earth. They gave up that power. The evidence of this happens when you think about the story of Noah. When you think about Noah coming out of the ark, God once again gave a command to him similar to what he gave to Adam and Eve, only this time it was a little bit different. He said to Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply. Same words he said to Adam and Eve at one point, be fruitful and multiply. But what he did not say to Noah was to rule and reign over the earth. For that job had already been forfeited and had already been given over to Satan. Satan, the scriptures call, is the ruler of this present world. Another uh, evidence of this fact that Satan has been given rule and reign over the world that we're living in is when Jesus is tempted, if you remember his temptation in the wilderness before his ministry started, and one of the temptations Satan offers, he says, these are the kingdoms of the world. They're mine to give you. And if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you these kingdoms. What's interesting is Jesus never disagrees that the king that Satan was able to give and was the ruler of this current world at this time. So it makes sense that when we restore the new creation and Satan is finally defeated and the powers of evil and darkness are finally defeated, that the job of humanity, men and women, and the resurrected Christ will be to reign with the resurrected Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. Resurrected bodies uh, and a physical body on a physical new earth ruling and reigning with Christ. And you say, well, who will we rule and reign over? I don't have a complete answer to that. It seems to be there'll be some kind of creatures just like there were creatures when the earth was first created that humanity was called to rule and reign over. 
Will there be ruling and reigning over other humans? Well, I don't know. It does seem to say in the scriptures and indicate that there'll be some kind of, uh, at some point, hierarchies uh, and there will be some places of position that are there in the afterlife. But Jesus assures us, this is not like the way you rule over each other on earth with abuse and, and, and all that. It's different. And this is a place of joy and a place of happiness. And even service and work there is joyful. So ruling and reigning. Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, says this. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. These are the believers in Christ. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. And then the last book, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, looking for, to our future, says this. And they will reign forever and ever. One of the things that you and I will be doing in the afterlife, in that new heaven and the new earth, will be ruling and reigning. And that's something that we will have to do. So that's a question you might have had. Another question, what about the idea of purgatory? I can appreciate that many have been brought up with this idea. And in some ways, uh, it seems to resonate and make sense with our minds to this extent that we often feel so ungodly, ungodly. We often feel so unholy that we think, well, more needs to be done before I will be able to be welcomed into heaven. There's something in there that seems to make sense in our logic, but the question remains, is there biblical support for such a concept to which when I search the scriptures, I find there is not. It's something that came out of tradition, especially specifically in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, but not, uh, not really, uh, there's no biblical support that I see for it. Uh, bodily death is the destruction of the sinful person. There's nothing left to purge at that point and nothing left to pay. Christ has paid the debt. We cannot pay it ourselves here or in the afterlife. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul's saying, look, when you are away from the body as a believer, then you are at home with the Lord. You are in the presence of Christ. Absent from the body, present with Christ. No one between, you are present with Christ in that moment. First Corinthians, uh, Philippians, excuse me, chapter one. Paul says, I am hard pressed between the two. This is staying or going to be with Christ and dying. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. And the concept and the idea is that when we die, when a believer dies, that they are present with Christ. And I believe it when Bob Frazier left this earthly temple and left this world on a Friday evening, that in that instant, that his spirit left his body, that he was present with Christ. Absent from the body and present with Christ. When it comes to purging of our bodies or our lives or our souls, really this world is the purging. It's where we're being purged. It's where we're being molded. It's where we're being formed into the image of Christ. This is the valley that we're walking through in order to pass into glory, which is this life that God is refining us and making us more into who he desires us to be. 
Another question that sometimes comes up is, uh, is it possible for the dead to talk to the living or the living to talk to the dead? And if it is, is it permissible? Uh, to the first question, I say maybe. And to the second question, I say no. And when I say I say, I say the scriptures. No. Is it possible? Maybe. There's really one main scripture that people go to uh, on this question, and it's 1 Samuel chapter 28. And that's where Saul, who was king, and was just really going off the rails of his relationship with God and following God. And he had gone so far off the rails that he was disobeying his own command, which his own command was that... Uh, uh, spiritists, mediums, necromancers, all those people who tried to contact the dead were, were banished and were not allowed because that was something God was not pleased with. But Saul had gotten so far away from God, he went and sought out a medium, a witch of Endor, she's called. And in 1 Samuel 28, we got the story of him trying to call up the spirit of Samuel who had died. And the interesting thing about the story is that Samuel does, for all intents and purposes, seem to show up um, somehow. But we don't know uh, who made that possible. Because the medium that Paul, uh, that, uh, excuse me, Saul is with at the moment seems just as surprised as Saul, if not even more so, that Samuel actually shows up. So it seems to be she knew whatever she was doing was pretty much a farce and a, and, and a gimmick. And she wasn't expecting anything really to happen. But then Samuel shows up. Perhaps it was the Lord that allowed that to happen because Samuel comes with a message of condemnation for Saul saying that he's going to die and someone else is going to be on the throne because of the decisions he is making. So is it possible? Maybe. That's the only place in Scripture that we really see this happening, the living and the dead, and it is a abstract and, and a confusing passage at best of who and how it happened. Did God allow it? Were there satanic forces involved? Were there, is there some uh, touch, you know, in touch with the, the other world? Um, it's, it doesn't answer a lot of questions and it's the only passage really in scripture that we have to on that. So, so I give it a maybe, but is it permissible to seek out those things? Scripture is an emphatic no. Uh, several places. In fact, in Deuteronomy, uh, one of the clearest places, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses nine through 12, God says, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an, as an offering or anyone who practices divination, or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or is a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So, Permissible? Absolutely not. God is clear and there's no wavering on that, that this is not something that uh, a follower of Christ and a believer should be, or anyone should be attempting. La another question, what will heaven be like? Well, we talked a little bit about that, that there's going to be ruling and reigning there, but the, the thing that we often get wrong about heaven is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So when you die, as Pastor Brian talked about in the last message, you go to a place, some people call it paradise, we can call it heaven, your soul is with Christ, but it is still apart from your resurrected body. 
I like the phrase that N.T. Wright in his book Surprised by Hope uses. He says, we're not, the, the hope is not really life after death. The hope for the Christian is life after life after death. Because life after death, there seems to be this place, heaven or paradise, where your soul is separated from your body, but it's not the permanent place. You're with Christ, but your body is not there yet. The hope for the Christian is life after life after death. It is when your resurrected body is given to you at Christ's return and you receive a resurrected body and there is a physical body that you have for all eternity and a physical earth that is recreated in a new earth where you and I as followers of Christ would live for eternity. N.T. Wright in his book Surprised by Hope says this, the purpose of this new body will be to rule wisely over God's new world. Forget those images of lounging around playing harps. There will be work to do and we shall relish doing it. All the skills and talents we have put to God's service in this present life, we will be doing there as well. You will have a physical body. There will be a physical new earth and there will be work for you to do. What will it look like? We don't know completely. John gives us a peek in the book of Revelation of the new Jerusalem coming down and at least what that one part of the new earth might look like and it's beautiful and it's, it's colorful and the words he uses stretch our English language of description of what it will be like but we don't know completely. The best evidence we have is something of what we have an account of Jesus' glorified body. There was something that was familiar about it when those followers saw him after rising from the dead. He had scars on his hands that he was able to show him. He was able to eat food. So there was something familiar about him. There was something like his body that was like the body before, but there was also something new and different. He would show up and people who knew him before the cross and death and his resurrection didn't recognize him until he revealed himself. He was not hindered by a locked door or walls. There was something the same, but there was also something very different. And that's the biggest hint we have of what the new earth will be like. Suppose it'll be something the same, something familiar, but also something very different about it but there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible tells us a little bit about that. You can read it in Revelation chapter 21. But there are a whole other slew of questions we have, but don't necessarily have answers, definitive answers for. God has given you and me enough information to get to the destination. All we need to get to the destination, but he hasn't answered all of our questions that we might want to know about what the destination will be like when we get there, just like your friend. He gave you enough information to get to his house. But everything about his house, some of that stuff, you're going to find out when you get there. And because it's God, and because he's the one that knows you best and loves you most, because Christ's victory is your victory, because you have faith in Christ, because it's God, you can trust him that it's going to be something great. It's going to be awesome. I don't have answers for all your questions. I don't know if there's going to be golf in heaven for you golfers. I don't know if there's going to be beaches in heaven for you beachers. I don't know uh, if, you're, if there's, uh, your pet is going to be there. Uh, if you had to press me on that question, like I said, um, if you're asking the question and you pressed me on it, you're probably not going to like my answer. So we'll just leave that at that. Um, but the truth is we see dimly right now. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
One day we'll see clearly. I realize that for Bob Frazier, the moment that he passed, he knows. He sees clearly. Any haze that was in the window, any haze that was in the mirror, is gone. He sees his Lord clearly. And that's the hope for all of us who faith, whose trust and faith is in Christ. But let me just shift and pivot for just a moment for our last few minutes of this message. And so what? What about this? What's so important about getting this right about heaven? You know, when Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, in Acts chapter 1, we have the account of some of his followers being there when he went into heaven, whatever that was like. And he went into heaven in Acts chapter 1 and the accounts there. And, and when he did, it said, he said this, when he had said, uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what he said. And when he had said these things, they, his followers, were looking on. And he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said this, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So that place where Jesus is right now, he says he's going to come back from there again. But it's their question that I think is important. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? In other words, you know, get your gaze back down. Uh, get to work. Go do what he told you to do. In the very next verse, Acts chapter 1 verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem. We've taken a few weeks to think about what heaven is like and to really get our doctrine right and to make sure we talk rightly about it and to recognize that there is something that should be motivating us that we should anticipate as believers in Jesus Christ that makes all of this worth it and it's important. But you can't spend your whole time gazing up into heaven. You got to return to Jerusalem. You got to put your you got to get back to work. And actually, the last verse I want to share with us, back to that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that I told you to turn to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the longest chapter that Paul gives us, and perhaps the Bible gives us, on resurrected bodies and what they might be like and life after death and Christ's resurrected body and our resurrected body. And he goes on for 57 verses in 1 Corinthians 15 about the importance of the fact that Christ was actually resurrected and had a physical body after he was resurrected. And this is critical, that Christ had a physical body and has a physical body. Christ still has that body at the right hand of the Father. He did not just have it for 33 years and 40 days or so after, after his appearance here and then returned to not have it. He has a physical body, one that is like what we, you and I will also have as a glorified body. And we'll have that body. And Paul goes on for 57 verses talking about that reality. And then he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 58, and I want to close us with this verse today because I want to close this series out with this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. After all this he said about the resurrected body, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He says, look, Paul says, look, in light of all of this, the fact that it's true that Christ's body, he was resurrected and he has a body and because he has one, you will have one. And because all of that's true, you stay steadfast and immovable and stay working, abounding in the work of God because it's all going to be worth it. None of your labor will be in vain. This is what Paul says. You're going to be tempted. And here it is. You're going to be tempted to diverge from a full-hearted following of Jesus. You and I are going to be tempted to do it. And Paul is writing to this church at Corinth and he's saying you are going to be tempted to walk away from this commitment to Jesus. And it certainly was true in Corinth. They were living in a, in, in a Greco-Roman polytheistic culture where uh, adherence to a monotheistic religion was strange. Not bowing down to Caesar as God was illegal. Not worshiping the, the polytheistic deities of the, of the time was, was not only a, a strange but a risk of your life at times. And so Paul knew them living in Corinth in a cosmopolitan city at the time, uh, a crossroads of the world, that they were going to be tempted to abandon their faith. And in order to keep them on track, he said, remember, Christ has been resurrected, his body. You will have a resurrected body. Your eternity is secure in him. And so because of that, stay immovable, stay steadfast, and always abounding in work for him. You're going to be tempted to abandon. You'll be tempted to, to walk away from your values, to not live a pure life for Christ, to not put him first. But Paul says, when you are, remember that Christ is risen from the dead and you will also be risen from the dead and you will live for eternity. So it's worth it that all of your labor is, none of your labor is in vain, that all of it is worth it. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's like you're steering a ship and you can't see the destination you're going to completely, but you see your compass in front of you and you know the direction you're supposed to travel and the winds are battering from one side and the waves are battering from the other and trying to take you off course and you're holding onto that wheel and you're holding that course because you know that course is going to take you to a destination that's worth it. And that's what Paul's saying. Stay steadfast. Stay immovable. Keep your hands on that wheel. Keep your focus on that compass. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on that destination destination and you will arrive at a place that's worth it and you will have with Christ this resurrected body in this new heaven and this new earth reigning with him and he says do the work abounding in all work what's that work well if we go back to just before Christ ascended in the book of Luke at the end of Luke uh, Jesus says these words thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Abounding in every good work, what's it mean? Proclaim to all nations, to every person on earth, repentance and the forgiveness of sins available in Jesus Christ. 
And you say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not in full-time ministry. You, know, you have to understand, the letter to the Corinthians was not written to pastors or to missionaries or to full-time vocational church workers. It was written to a church of people who were working all kinds of jobs in all different parts of society. And Paul knew that there were rich people and poor people. There were merchants. There were, there were traders. There were, there were slaves in the church. And he's saying, in all that you are doing in your work, always abound in the work of God. And what is abounding in the work of God is that is to proclaim the repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all people in all nations. So as you work, be a vessel and an ambassador of the fact that anyone who comes to Christ is able to have their sins forgiven and is also able to have not only life after death, but life after life after death in a new heaven and a new earth, ruling and reigning with him. And Paul says this is motivation to stay steadfast and immovable and abound in every good work because as you do, none of your labor will ever be in vain. Let me close our message and let me close our series with these words. How does it play out? You know, one of the reasons we did this series is because we want to talk rightly about people who pass from this world and rightly about people who pass from this world and have their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the truth is sometimes, whether it be in a funeral or just in a conversation, we don't seem to be people who have hope the way we should. The Bible says that Christians are those who grieve, but they do not grieve as those without hope. We grieve, but let us not grieve like people who have no hope because we have a sure hope in Jesus Christ. And I want us to talk rightly about that. I want us to anticipate that. I want us to be motivated by that. Let me share with you what that looks like a little bit. Many of you know Sam and Rosina Ofeadu and their family. And it was a couple years ago that their son, Kwaku, a young man in his 20s, promising future, smart, bright, quiet, but whenever he spoke, he always had something that was worth listening to. He was brilliant. And through a long and lengthy and confusing disease, he was taken from this earth and into the Lord's presence. And I asked Sam Rosino as we started this series, I said, what, how is the hope of heaven, the hope of life after life, and even life after life after life, helped you in your time of grieving? What does it look like to grieve as those with hope? And they said this. These are their words that they've allowed me to share with you. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. The truth of this scripture has definitely factored in our grieving. The night Kwaku died, as you may recall, was a time of worship and thanksgiving to the Lord for taking him home. Also, after the wake, the funeral director asked if we wanted to spend some time alone with the body or come early the next day before he covered the coffin. Our response was that Kwaku was already with the Lord and there was no need to linger around the body. The last verse of the hymn, In Christ Alone, which we sang during the funeral, has these words. 
No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. Knowing that it was God, his Savior, who called him home, has given us peace. Because God's word is true, we remind ourselves daily that God received Kwaku, clothed in Christ's righteousness, and that has comforted us. We were and are comforted that the place of eternal and true rest has been prepared by God for his children, and that one day we will all be together. The truth of God's word gives us hope, though we still grieve. And that's it, my friends. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been talking about in these four messages. That's what we've been talking about in heaven. The truth of God's word gives us hope, though we still grieve. When we talk about heaven, brothers and sisters in Christ, we talk about heaven. We talk about a place where we go and we're with the presence of Christ. But that is not even our final destination. We're talking about a place that God has prepared for us for not only life after death, but life after life after death. A new heaven and a new earth where we rule and we reign with Christ, where you have a physical body and I have a physical body and Christ is there and God is there and there's a physical new earth and there is joy and there is goodness and we are there with him. And finally, if you have never taken the step to put your faith in Christ, You've heard this morning that his, his, his work is this, to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins. And you today can receive forgiveness of your sins. And you today can have this eternity secured with Christ for you. Christ already paid for it. You don't have to pay the debt. You say, oh, I've walked so far away. If you knew what I did, God knows all of what you did. But if you only knew what he did for you, if you would embrace what he has done for you, if you would embrace the sacrifice and the love that he has given to you and just fall on his grace, you are able to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. Not because of what you do but because of what he did and you say well it seems too good to be true all this heaven talk all this life after life after death a new heaven new earth resurrected living for it sounds too good to be true because that is who God is because it's a grace we do not deserve but in faith it's something that is offered to you and if you've never done that I ask you at your home right now that you would take a moment in fact right now why don't we just take a moment close your eyes take a moment and pray just right where you are and those of you that may already be followers of Jesus, that you would pray with me. And those of you that may this time want to be for the first time, you want to be a follower of Jesus. You want to put your faith and your trust in him. It's not complicated. That you would just admit, Lord, I am a sinner who needs forgiveness. And I trust and believe that I can receive that through Jesus Christ. That I believe that you are who you say you are. And then I'm taking my hands off the wheel of my life and I'm making you Lord of my life. And I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. And then in faith, I become your child and you become my father. And I will follow you all the days of my life. And I will trust my life and my future and my life after death to your care. And I repent and I turn from my life and I turn to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, 
the Lord says that the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in your life and he will lead you and guide you. And if you did pray that prayer, we'd love for you to let us know. Uh, and you can let us know through our website or in any way, um, send us an email. Let us know that you prayed that prayer. We'd like to get you started on your walk with him. God bless you. Thank you, Mount Hope. Have a wonderful week.